Hello, hello. <laughs> you got your headphones on? She was rushing over. Just in time. <laughs> I'm Savannah. And I'm Alicia. This is Burden of Proof. So today... What you got for us? I have the second part in my little three-part series on um, Black Widows from Illinois. There were three really close together. Yes. So I'm doing all three of them pretty close together. All right. I love so, these stories. It's I I'm love the time period. It. I'm really enjoying these. So the first two that we've done uh, last week's, I don't know if they'll come back. They won't come back out back to back in a week before last. Mm-hmm. The week before last, we talked about Luisa Vermilia. And today we're going to be talking about Luisa Lindloff, who we talked about <laughs> a little bit last week. I really can't say her last name. Like, it's so bad. I can't get it She has to be out. very intentional when yeah. saying it. Um, so we briefly touched on her during the Vermilia episode. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk fully about her story today. And then not next week, but the week after when I come back with my next episode, um, we're going to be talking about the one, the only, Belle Gunness. Belle Gunness. Who is kind of a big deal. And I don't know if you <laughs> cut it out of the edit or not. So if you did, you can cut this. But did, are you going to leave in? I haven't in, edited yet. Are you going to leave in the part where I can't say her name? <laughs> Where you call her Guinness? I was calling her Guinness (laughs) because I realized as I was researching that I've heard this case before because last podcast on the left covered it and I knew it was pronounced Guinness, but I'd never said it. So I was just reading it and I have always read it as Guinness. Whoopsie. So you know how you like read stuff sometimes and you're like, I know that's not what it is. I might leave this in just for funs and giggles. Oh, you know, I'm sure people will love that. (laughs) So anyway, it'll be Belle Guinness next and she's the she's the big dog. So. I'm excited. All right. Me too. Yes. So today, like I said, Louisa Lindahl. 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 The CRS who killed, if you didn't read the title. So we have a little bit of spooky action. She was kind of overshadowed by the other two historically. So there were definitely less sources. Okay. The other thing I'm going to say about sources before we get into actual facts. I would not, if on the stand, testify that these sources were 100% accurate. They are mostly accurate. I do believe that this is the truth of the story. Okay. But I cannot be certain. There's not a lot of, like, anything sworn. There's nothing testified. You don't have access to court records because of the time period. Right. Um, And so it's just a, a lot of culmination of newspapers and and word of mouth so there's probably some weird like detail issues but but the bones of the story the bones of the story are there so we're gonna build the body today all right and i'm excited it's a little witchy mysterious story so put your spooky hat Mm. on and i want you to come with me let me go get my cloak your cloak (laughs) um that's funny to us but it's not gonna be funny to anybody else (laughs) We're going to go back to 1901, and we're going to start in Milwaukee. We open on a young girl-ish, young-ish girl-ish, named Louisa. She was known around her small town as a woman with a crystal ball, and boy, oh boy, did she have quite a story about that ball, and we'll get into it a little bit later. I'm going to wait. I'm going to make you wait in suspense about her crystal ball. Okay. Um, she would tell anybody who listened to her about her childhood in Germany and how she had been gifted with vision since she was a kid. Somebody should have noticed, however, that these visions weren't necessarily helping her avoid a lot of death near her um, and, and like her friends and family. 
Weird. Yeah, supposedly. It's weird. That's all I'm going to say. That's weird. Yeah, it's weird. So in 1905, her first husband, Julius, died. He died from a really sudden and strange illness, which is kind of... Don't they always? Yeah. (laughs) Pretty normal for this kind of story. And doctors were really confused by his symptoms, but they ended up ruling it out as sunstroke, and that's what his cause of death was listed as. Okay. Obviously. This is a Black Widow story. It wasn't sunstroke. I mean, it could have been, but she may have just, like, locked him out. (laughs) (laughs) You sit outside in the sun. You sit outside and dive exposure. exposure. Um, And obviously, Julius was heavily insured at the time of his death. Of course. So, Louisa collected that insurance money. About two weeks after Julius passed away, um, they ran a, I'm sorry, they ran a boarding house out of their home. And I'm pretty sure it was like a family business on Julius's side. Okay. And they had one of their boarders pass away in a weird circumstance. I say they, he was dead. So, one of her boarders. So, after the husband's gone. Yeah, two weeks after. Oh, two Um, weeks. Yeah, really quick after Mm. And it's weird because this was a border that had been there for a really long time. So he'd been there sometime between seven and 15 years. I know that's a big gap, but on either spectrum, it's a long, yeah. a long time. But Louisa was listed as his beneficiary on his life insurance policy, which I don't think is that weird because he'd been there for so long. And I'm assuming it's a single guy working construction or something blue collar in a boarding house. And so, you know, a yeah. lot of times in boarding houses the wife of the person who runs it will stay home and clean and do some basic oh, yeah. and housework yeah. for them. So to me, it's they not cook, weird. They clean, they take care, especially of the single men exactly. in, the, in the house. Um, so, so that's not entirely weird. Yeah, I think if he had been there for long enough and they were friends and he listed her, that's or not weird were at they? all. I'm going to, mm-hmm. this is my little rabbit trail. Build that body of the story, babes. But two weeks after? Yeah. Maybe it was a whole, I'll I'll find a way to get rid of my husband so we can be together. Maybe. Except two weeks later. Boom. Dead. Boom. Roasted. She found a way to get rid of all of you. Mm-hmm. There is absolutely no fact to that. No. That. She's making it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know. Anyway. But it's she a possibility. Was, it is. It absolutely <laughs> is a possibility. That's why it's funny. Because it could have genuinely happened. Either way, she was listed as his beneficiary. And so, yeah, I feel really bad for him because he trusted her and they were friends yeah. and it's horrible. Anyway. Either way. About a year after that, Louisa decided that widowed life was not for her and she shifted into second marriage mode. She married William Lindelof. <laughs> Lindelof. And um, she decides to keep his name for the, pretty much the rest of her life. What was weird about these two is that she was 35 and he was 20. Oh, my. Louisa. Which is kind of the opposite of that the was time period. unusual yeah. for that time period. And um, how do I put this delicately? She wasn't a catch. She wasn't very... <laughs> She wasn't easy on the eyes. to the eyes. (laughs) Um, None of the three women in the miniseries are conventionally attractive. Yeah, they're not lookers. So for him to date somebody older is a little strange and marry somebody older. But was he a looker? I have no idea. I don't know. 
I don't know if he was, but I've decided that his brother John, his brother John was definitely a looker because John Otto Lindeloth <laughs> was um, unfortunately the next person to die in 1908. And I think this is such a romantic story. Basically, he died just a few months after becoming Luisa's brother-in-law. And there was some tension between them because apparently Luisa didn't think that John would have been a suitable suitor for her daughter, Frida. Okay, question. Yes. Was John older or younger than the husband? I have no idea. And I have no idea how old Frida was. I just know Frida's from her first marriage. And so, But it's possible that both of them were teenagers. Possible. Because if he was younger than her husband, who was 20... Mm-hmm. Then it's possible they were okay. Because initially, my first thought is like older brother. I don't know why, but I'm thinking older brother. And you're she's 35. Louisa yeah. was 35, so her daughter couldn't be. Her daughter was probably a teenager. Yeah. And even though that was normal to start finding suitors in court and whatever, yeah. still, Frida could have been like, "You're too old." Yeah, she might not have liked that, but or or they could have been. He was the same, the same age, age, and they wanted to date, but she didn't want Frida dating, and so she killed him. Yeah, this is like Romeo and Juliet, except better because Romeo and Juliet is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Hot take: Romeo and Juliet overrated. Anyway, well, the writing's beautiful, but then they both die. It's so stupid. Anyway, yeah, um, I don't disagree. Yeah, so. Somehow, like I said, John passed away. Weird. And what's really weird about it is that Louisa did benefit from his death insurance-wise. Not um, his brother. Not his brother. So what's what I'm going to assume, this is not really what the sources say, this is what I'm going to assume from my legal knowledge, is okay. that technically I think William is the one who was listed. But as they were married... She yeah, then she... could go to the insurance office and claim that money or claim that check. Okay. And then her husband just didn't know or something along those lines. Maybe he did know and just didn't care. Or she's older. Or so he's she's like, like, let mama take care exactly, of it. Exactly. Let mama take <laughs> care of it. So um, I don't know what happened, but somehow Luis is the one who ended up with the money. Okay. Sus. Really weird. And I'm not sure if Louisa then started seeing her daughter as competition or something because it wasn't shortly after John's death that Frida herself died under very similar circumstances. So doctors attributed her death to typhoid fever and that was that. They kind of, I think that's what they said John died from as well. So they assumed that they both had the same thing. I'm not sure why, but probably because their deaths were similar. Or if they they were, were kissing. They were in love. They could have passed it. It's like mono. (laughs) (laughs) It happens. But the whole competition with your daughter thing is weird to me. That's weird. So the reason that I brought that up is because it does happen with black widows. It's either they indoctrinate them into their way of life of marriage and then death for money or or killing their family. Some people are weird about the definition of a black widow. doesn't matter to me. But... Um, it's either they indoctrinate them in or they realize, okay, she's now old enough to, if yeah. I find a man that would work, they might want to date her instead. Yeah. So to them, it could be a competition in that aspect. And so sometimes they end up killing their daughters for that reason. 
I'm not going to armchair psychologize. <laughs> Making up words. <laughs> hey, all words I are made it. up. Yeah. All words are made up. That's true. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm. I'm standing by it. My friend. If you read Frindle, you understand. I'm not gonna armchair psychologize <laughs> <laughs> and so, try and say what I think was wrong with yeah. her. I don't. I don't. It's just weird. Anyway, back to Frida. Poor Frida. Poor Frida. After Frida's death, William and Louisa decide that they are gonna take their two remaining children and move to the big city. A big city. Chicago. 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 <laughs> <laughs> also, side note, um, Jinx Monsoon just opened um, her debut show in Chicago the other day. Chicago the Musical on Broadway. Mm, love it. Love it. So proud. Anyway, if you haven't watched RuPaul's Drag Race, you should get on that. <laughs> yeah. Taylor's been telling me to. <gasps> you haven't watched Drag Race? I haven't. Do you have Hulu? I do. Start with some of the seasons on Hulu. Okay. Okay. They're all good. Okay. Anyway. In Chicago, they set up another boarding house company and also a medium company, like a medium business because, yes. again, she's a seer. She's a seer. She's psychic. And at this point in American history, the spiritualism movement is kind of at an all-time high. I would say that right now, it is also really popular and mm-hmm. it's it's popping right now, but at this point in American history, yeah. so many people were kind of, it was the first time I think that they were really shifting gears from basic Christianity. So it's interesting to me that this is how they, they decided to take advantage of the growth of the movement. Yeah. And um, a lot of scientists and more well-respected career people were converting and openly saying, like, this is what I'm doing now. And the one that made me giggle... <laughs> was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, hmm. who the author was one of these people that was like, I believe in this now. So, pretty cool. Forget what I believed before. I believe in this now. My my big New York City accent, but this is <laughs> Chicago, so it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> the big names in this movement were some like the Fox sisters, Leah, Margarita, and Catherine, mm-hmm. um, the Bang sisters, there was a boy group, the brothers of some kind. I forgot their names. Why is it always brothers and sisters? It's the family business. True. <laughs> that shouldn't be too weird, I suppose. Yeah. If you know much about this whole era, though, you might know that a lot of people who were charging money for their skills were trying to take advantage of the market and not yes. doing it because of their raw psychic ability. I kind of want to cover one of these one day if I can find a good one that fits what we need. So I don't want to get too into it. Yeah. Um, but this is the culture of mysticism and illusion that drew people into Louisa's salon. Okay, first of all, before I talk about what we're going to picture here, I want you to close your eyes. <laughs> Homework assignment. Close your eyes. Unless you're listening to this while driving, then do, do not. Do not close your eyes. <laughs> Do not close your eyes. Wait until you get yes. pull, o- pull over. Or pull over. If you want. If you're invested and you don't have any place to be, or- you're just driving <laughs> for fun. <laughs> um, anyway, imagine with me. Eyes open if you're driving. <laughs> I want you to imagine this dimly lit room with just candles and the shades drawn so you can't see the sun because it's definitely the middle of the day. <laughs> yes, of or, course. I mean, it could have been at night, but it's funnier if it's in the middle of the day. And there's like ornate 
rugs mm-hmm. on the floor and everybody's kind of sitting around the sofa and Louisa is sitting there and she's telling you your future and you're with your is friends. Is she wearing a head wrap? Definitely not, but maybe a veil. A veil. Yes. That's okay. much more dramatic and she's definitely more dramatic. Okay. So, and she's staring into this crystal ball that she has claimed she paid $500 for and it's very special and or she got it for 10 cents at the craft store. She could have gotten it at the craft <laughs> store, but you don't care because you're with your friends and yeah. this is scandalous. We're pumped. And it's so fun. This is so fun. And we're going to talk to Aunt Martha. Yeah, you might talk to your Aunt Martha. She died. <laughs> Aunt Martha's a ghost. Or Grace. Grace. <laughs> she died 30 years ago. Heidi. Sorry. So she claimed that her best visions came from a magical crystal ball that, like I said, she said she paid $500 for, or like Felicia (laughs) says, she paid 10 cents at the craft store. But Louisa says about the crystal ball that it contained one of Cleopatra's tears. Oh, she definitely got it at the craft store. Hey. (laughs) You don't know that. This is going to be true. (laughs) No, this is definitely not true. But she said, quote, That one tear enables me to read the future. When I gaze into the ball, I see the tear at the center expand, and within that, I see what will come to pass in future years. (laughs) Oh, she's German. She has a German accent. I can't do a German accent, so I just made one up. There you go. That's her voice. That's fine. She would conduct these salons, or what she called them was her weekly circles, and she would rip up a piece of a handkerchief, lay out all of the pieces that she ripped, stare into them, and go into a trance before giving all of the members a either a new vision or an answer to a question. Hmm. So, I want to be there so bad. I just want to be, well... No, you don't. There's pros and cons to being in that time period, but exactly. that time period in Chicago is pretty cool. Yeah, this is a really cool place to be. And that's, I think, why I loved this case so much was not even just the content, but really putting myself in those women's shoes who were just there. Mm-hmm. Not so much Louisa's, but when you research this case, all you can find is a lot of newspaper articles and flyers and like little art pieces that people drew at the time. Um, and it really helps you put in perspective kind of what their mindset would have been. It's mm-hmm. fascinating to me. And I've been so invested in it all week. So I'm really hoping that it's reading through the podcast because it's so cool. Nice. You will share some of those pictures, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Nice. I will say that a lot of the more famous mediums and psychics and illusionists at this time definitely had cooler shows. <laughs> like. Her mediumship work was kind of mid in comparison to other people's, depending on who you ask. But I digress. So Frida died in 1908, and then Louisa kind of started slowing down. She was really invested in her business, and she was loving their lives in Chicago. And it wasn't until 1910 that she kind of made her next move. We're not sure why, but suddenly, William came down with a horrible sickness. Not William. Not William. He was very physically sick and mentally he kind of turned into a raving lunatic. Doctors were really put off because his physical symptoms didn't match his mental symptoms and they were very confused. Um, And eventually his cause of death was listed as heart disease, but they're not really sure what happened. And it kind of shook up a couple of the doctors in town. Hmm. 
The following year, almost to the day, their next child's died. Alma died on August 4th, and William died on August 3rd the previous year. Again, not sure of her, what her cause of death was, but her physician would testify that Louisa had used her crystal ball to predict exactly what day her daughter would die. Dang. Those craft store crystal balls. Powerful indeed. Ten months later, her youngest child, Arthur, would get very sick. Again, I'm saying the timelines because it is bang, 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 bang. Yes. One right after another, but it's really close to exactly a year. It's fascinating to me. So her children, did she have life insurance policies on them? Ah, Yes. There we go. So this time around with Arthur, though, was a little different. The doctor that she brought in to look after him actually was very suspicious. He said, this isn't right. Yeah. Not only did his symptoms suggest that he had been poisoned, but the boy himself mentioned this weird tasting water that his mom had given her. He also called it sandy water at some point. Louisa denied and said that his symptoms could not be due to poisoning. But the doctor basically said to go screw herself because he was taking Arthur to the hospital anyway. Yeah. So he took her, took him in, um, but unfortunately, the hospital, the, do- the doctors at the hospital couldn't do much, and he died on June 13th. But the doctor who was originally treating him was still very suspicious, and he rejected the initial verdict of pancreatic illness and insisted on an autopsy. Good. So during the autopsy, traces of arsenic in Arthur's system were found. The coroner then immediately had Louisa arrested because the doctor had had all these weird gut feelings and, like, these weird signs. Yeah. She was insistent that she did not kill her son, and she was so angry with being charged, apparently she had no warning from her crystal ball that she was being charged. Weird. Mm -hmm. That she just kept insisting, I didn't do it. I had nothing to do with that. That's horrible. Why would you say that? Even through a police interrogation, she stayed stagnant to the fact that she had nothing to do with her son's death. They didn't like that. So they did a thorough search of her house um, because laws were different. <laughs> yes. Um, and turned up a basically a, a, a pharmacy. Like, and it, it was a lot. They found a ton of lethal substances, including rat poison, mercury, and several, several bottles that just said poison on the outside. <laughs> Um, police also found a wig and evidence that she had been planning to leave Chicago in a hurry, but she refused to tell them why. Yeah, that's We know why, Louisa. We know why. They determined that she spent virtually every cent of the thousands of dollars she had previously collected from insurance payouts, which made Arthur's death even more convenient. Considering the sizable insurance policy that she had on her son, the prosecutors were like, we've got enough. But worst of all, they found a notebook that was pretty well hidden in her house where she had listed all of the deaths and the insurance payouts that she received from them. Why? Why would you do that? I don't know. Her bookkeeping. Oh, my God. They also found, and they pretty much ignored this, but they found somewhere mixed in a bunch of paperwork, a piece of paper that had a a horoscope from a New York psychic and a prophecy. And it said, quote, you shall have a little trouble in 1912 and one of your immediate relatives will die. You will heir to some property and cash, but will have trouble in collecting it. 
After you have secured your legacy, you will spend the rest of the year traveling. So that's interesting to me because this is all she got arrested. He yeah. died in 1912. This is 1912. Yes. So interesting indeed. But the only place you'll be traveling to is prison. Is jail. So in addition to everything that they had previously gotten stacked up against her, Louisa sent one of her regular boarders, Henry Cuba, to the insurance office, which actually happened to be a prudential office, which is still an insurance company today. Yeah. To pick up the check for Arthur's de- death on the same day that he died. He sa- she sent a boarder to go pick up the check. Oh, how? How? What? Okay, aside from how audacious that is, mm-hmm. okay, on her part, how would that even be possible? Even with, like, all our technology today, there's no way that an insurance company is going to give you a payout the same day. She just assumed she, it would be waiting for her. Like, they just miraculously know. I don't know how he they died. would know, but she, I think she's done this a few times. So True. She's I don't know. an expert. They actually arrested Henry because they thought it was weird that he was helping her, but they ended up releasing him because he had nothing to do with it. He was just running an errand for her, basically. So this is where we get into some of the the fun stuff. So as people were realizing around town that Louisa had been arrested and word was getting around in their community about what happened and what Louisa had done, she kept up her story of innocence. She kept saying, I didn't do anything wrong. She said that she was incredibly angry and upset about being accused for killing her family and son. She said that all she had done was use her psychic gifts to know when they would die so that she could profit off of their deaths, but not that she had killed them. She said they all died of natural causes. I didn't poison anybody. I just knew that they were going to die, so I got insurance on them. She said that was wrong, but I didn't kill them. The narcissistic traits are strong with this one. (laughs) Really? My goodness. Elisa, they did an autopsy. They found poison. Yeah, exactly. It's it's time to let it go. <laughs> it's time you to... You can't keep up the facade of perfection any longer. Yeah. You can't just say, no, no, it wasn't. No, I didn't. And then that's it. You can't it. gaslight science. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Put that on a shirt. Investigators then exhumed the rest of the bodies that they suspected as victims. And we'll talk about this when we get a little bit more into the trial because I think it's interesting. But the coroner found elevated traces of arsenic in all of them. Even if that's not all the poison she used, she did use arsenic on everybody. Um, Friends and relatives of the deceased came forward with their own stories about how Louisa and her psychic gifts have allowed her to predict their death dates. Not only did this allow her to collect on their insurance policies, but it had helped keep her successful reputation as a CRS or a medium around town. So she had been doing this for a while. She would predict the dates of their death, tell people I had a vision, they would die, it would get around, and everyone was like, oh my gosh, she's the real deal. And nobody questioned. Nope. (laughs) Everyone was like, oh my It's gosh. always people that she is related to somehow. Yeah. Nobody thought, wow, this may they be more than a coincidence. The they just thought she, she was. Yikes. Yeah. 
it's that Cleopatra's tear. Oh, yes, I forgot. Yeah. So I made a little list, a little listy list of all the people she killed and their insurance so that you can, we can tally it up. Because I don't know if you noticed, but I didn't say how much the insurance was. Yeah. Because I just felt like it was more. Well, yeah. We're just going to do it here because there was a lot. All right. So Julius, her first husband, died in Milwaukee. He had a $2,000 insurance policy. Okay. Charles Lipchow, who was the boarder, died. He had a $505,000 insurance policy, plus he had spent about $15,000 of his inheritance during a stay there, like, with them. I'm not counting that in the final tally. Just thought it was interesting that he had spent that money with them. John dies. John Otto dies. She got a $2,000 payout. Frida died, 1350 Okay. William, um, sixteen twenty five. So one thousand six hundred twenty five. Yeah. Alma, her middle daughter, died two thousand three hundred dollars. And Arthur, and he was insured for three um three thousand three hundred and seventy five dollars. And she had technically collected that check but didn't get to use anything to do yeah. anything with it. I did the math for you. <laughs> Thirteen thousand two hundred dollars total payout. Which is over $412,000 today in purchasing power. Okay. Which, with the cost of living, that would have been enough for her to live on. True. In addition to making money as the boarding house and in the medium world. So as people died and as she needed more money, other people died conveniently. So she was promoting her business that way and so making more money off of insurance and making more money off of the business which is so fascinating a businesswoman (laughs) she's just an entrepreneur yeah after the fact there were tons of people who came forward and said that they think that she had poisoned them including a woman named mrs bertha nels who said that her five-month-old baby died after being around louisa in 1912, again, that same year, Miss Sadie Ray and Mrs. Catherine Dwyer said that they were also poisoned, but anybody who's kind of done more research doesn't really put a ton of stock into a lot of these claims yeah. of people after the fact because uh, nobody really survived her, so. Yeah, that, and people do weird stuff. They come out of the woodwork. Yeah, it's so dramatic. stuff becomes. And I thought it was funny. I was like, can you imagine just in the 1920s garb and she's just like, you know, she poisoned me that one time. I told you that, right? Have I not told you the story? Louisa, the one that's in prison. Yeah. Yeah, you told me. You had indigestion. <laughs> I did after I ate there and I almost died. So don't make light of it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just so dramatic. I love it. <laughs> well, that's all they had to talk about. True. They weren't working. So they didn't. I mean, no, they had lots to talk about. But regardless. Mostly gossip. Mostly gossip, though. Telling anyone that would listen that they got poisoned by the killer. Louisa. <laughs> I love it. But they survived because yeah. they're special. They're built different. Yeah. Anyway. So, June 15th, 1912, Louisa is arrested. She's 41 years old. Just a few days after Arthur died. Yeah. She was arraigned two days later. It was a pretty cut and dry trial, honestly. The trial began on October 25th and died. And, and, and died. And died. The trial died. <laughs> Um, and it was it, and she was convicted by November fourth of by a grand jury okay. and a judge. During her trial, she told the judge and jury of her innocence and explained how her abilities worked. 
and explained that the the spirits that guided her told her that she would be acquitted. They lied. She was not. The jury only took five hours in their deliberations to find her guilty of murdering her son because she was on trial for the murder of Arthur. Right. But what I wanted to bring up at this point is that it's weird that they, and this is just weird because of standards today, they exhumed all of the bodies and tested all of the bodies and used that stuff in court, which mm, they could not use today. Even though they weren't charging her for mm-hmm. those deaths. So today they wouldn't be able to um, bring that stuff in. It most likely wouldn't be admissible as evidence. Yeah. Because she hadn't been convicted of those crimes. You can't bring those in. Yeah. They totally did here, though. So pretty cool. Things times Times change. Unfair. I don't know. I don't know. It depends on who you ask. It reminds me of the Michael Peterson case. Mm -hmm. Staircase. If you haven't watched the staircase. Oh, my gosh. Go watch it. It's on Netflix. But mm-hmm. um, they admitted stuff to his trial that I'm like, how in the world did the judge allow that? And he even he said at the end of that case, he was like, I that shouldn't have been there. <laughs> so whoopsie. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. Evidence admissibility is so cool. I'm kind of surprised that they didn't charge her with more of the death. I guess with Arthur's, they had the most proof because of the convenience of his death, like timing-wise, plus her plans to run away and all of that stuff had come out. And she was, like, she had tickets bought to run away really quickly after he died. Yeah. Because that was her last child. She ran out of people to kill, so (laughs) she had to move on. She's got to move to a small town that doesn't cost as much as Chicago. Yeah. So after reading the verdict, the judge presiding over the case said, quote, it has been so long since a white woman was convicted on a murder charge in Cook County that I cannot remember the last case that had resulted in that way. It must have been something like 20 years ago because nobody was getting charged with murder. Like no women were getting charged and convicted of murder at this well, time. Yeah, we've we've mentioned that before. Yeah, they often were underestimated, yeah. even though there was more women serial killers back then than there are today <laughs> yeah so which we were talking about earlier it's interesting how they um they, it changes so much like they there were a lot of these female killers then like serial killers not just like one or yeah. two offhands you know killings but serial killers who had a, a psychological problem yeah now these days it's just men like there's a few active serial killers going on right now that we're pretty sure are men so interesting yeah. Well, some of that, I'm sure, might have to do with, like, access to people. Poison is... Very limited these days. Very... Well, I think it's just, you know, there's... It's going to be more noticeable if somebody's, like, yeah. buying this stuff and keeping it in their house mm-hmm. and... And, yeah. It is interesting. And we're all a little bit suspicious all of it. yeah, I agree with Especially that. Especially anybody that listens to true crime. Yeah. What did what my water tastes us. funny. I'm not drinking it. Um, don't even get me started because we got a Christmas present at work from a specific client and I was like, I'm not eating that. <laughs> so that was that was always, yeah. I get nervous sometimes in our field because when working with probate, like families can get kind of weird. Yeah. And so you just you have to be careful. Somebody else ate it and they were fine. (laughs) So nobody tried to poison us. But yeah, it said that Louisa accepted her verdict stonily, very poised. 
although she did need some support out of the courtroom, but she she kept it together. She tried. She was sentenced to 25 years pretty shortly after her conviction, and she launched an appeal right away. But unfortunately, before that could kind of get finished up, she did die of cancer two years later. Oh. And one source, this is a quote from one of my sources that made me laugh, said, presumably, the spirits failed to warn her not to bother. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. It's an interesting case because she was so close to Louisa and Bella. Not Bella. Her name is Belle. Well, kind of. Her name is Bella part, part of the life, too. But they were so close together and so similar in nature. It's just so interesting to me. Yeah. That time period. Mm-hmm. Everybody had the poisons laying around the house. Well, and all three of them were immigrants. So they were low on funds. Yes. And they didn't have like a ton of family money in the States. Yeah. They be doing what they can. Not to excuse it. Don't kill people. That's very bad. Don't kill people. No. Poison, like arsenic is a rough way to die. So don't do that. No, that's, well, I mean, no matter what it is. Yeah. We do not condone poisoning people. Don't kill people. <laughs> We're just saying that life was hard in the, oh, the yeah. 1800s, early 1900s for yeah. immigrants. This is not the solution. Women. Yeah. Well, good case. Thank Interesting. you. Interesting. And I was kind of short, but next week or the, the next case after is super long. It may even be a two-parter depending on All right. how I can cut it up. So we're going to get the full picture of Illinois at this point in time. Chicago, 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 Chicago. I would love to cover like mafia cases, but oh, I don't know that I want to go scared. there. <laughs> I don't know that. I don't want anybody. I don't want mafia mad at me. No. So I respect the hustle. So. <laughs> You respect your work ethic. You just want to cover the mafia because of Peaky Blinders. Well, yeah, but the mafia here is different than... Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And they're still at large here, so... Yeah. And Peaky Blinders, they were special. They were a special group. I might watch that soon. It's on my list. You should. Everybody should. It's on my list. Everybody should. Let us know what you're watching right now. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to twist this into a TV review. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Well, we're exhausted if you can't tell, but I hope you enjoyed. Yes, yes. And we'll see you next week for an Alicia episode. Till next time. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.